Good morning. So uh, if you're here, the Sunday that Leah, Leah's last Sunday before she left, um, I almost talked about what I'm about to talk about, but it didn't happen. And I left you with sermon notes that Sunday. You have no sermon notes this Sunday, so hopefully <laughs> you saw those. Um, in the notes, we talked a little bit about, or the, the notes kind of gave some like interesting thoughts about Psalm 119. And uh, this sermon is divided between, not really divided, but it focuses on two different things. It focuses on like a text, which is Psalm 119, but then it's also going to focus on a topic. And the topic today, the starting point, is this idea of the weight of obedience. And during this sermon, we are going to kind of wind up until we reach the center of the sermon, and then we're going to wind back out. Uh, so we'll, you, we'll cross these landmarks, and then we'll see them as we come back. <clears throat> so let's talk about this idea of the weight of obedience, how heavy this word sounds. So I think one way to kind of convey this sort of starting point of how we're thinking about this is an experience I had when I was a kid. Um, sometimes, not very often, I like to be helpful as a kid. And doing the dishes was something I kind of enjoyed, especially if I was listening to music. And so I remember I was on my way to go do dishes, and I was really happy about it. You know, like, I'm being helpful, I'm going to listen to music. And my mom goes, hey, Michael, go do the dishes. I was like, oh, it got so much worse after that. I did not want to do the dishes that was a heavy thing. So it went from something that I was doing, and then, you know, the, the rebel in me is like, oh, I'm being told to go do the dishes. And it took all the joy out of it. And so there's this idea of, there's like an idea of obedience where it's like, I'm doing what someone else wants me to do over what I want to do. So I'm doing what someone else, I'm choosing to do what someone else wants me to do, over what I want to do. So that's kind of the starting point of how we're going to think about, about obedience. And maybe that'll change along the way. Um, we'll see. So one other thing I kind of want to clarify is when we're talking about this idea of God's law, obedience, these things like that, there's a tendency to think about our objective performance, like how well we did, how many boxes we checked off. And today, I don't want to focus at all on our performance. Instead, I want to focus on our relationship with obedience. So here's something to think about. And this is sort of setting up like the thought process for the sermon. Who we are objectively is one thing. And the narrative of who we are is another thing, and it's deeper. The narrative says why we do what we do and why we are who we are. It is the relational, the narrative, that gives meaning to the objective reality we experience. So the Bible um, gives, gives a lot of examples of this. There's different narrative truths that seem to supersede objective truths. And to explain what I mean by that, because I'm, I'm kind of using a bunch of words that might, that might seem like I'm saying something different than I want to. Um, do you remember the story in the Bible where there is the, 
the, the widow, and she drops her two mites in the offering. And there's a bunch of much more wealthy people who chunked a bunch of change in there that was significantly larger. There was a, a large objective amount of money placed in there, and then a very small amount of money placed in there. And Jesus said that the widow gave more. So she objectively gave less, but in Jesus' eyes, she gave more. And so there's this idea of, of the narrative truth was that she gave more. The objective truth was that she technically gave a smaller sum of money. And so the narrative we adopt matters, how we see things. Are we seeing things through God's eyes or through our own? So once again, when we're thinking about obedience, we're thinking in terms of the relational with following God's word, not our performance, not the objective amount of money we dropped in the offering. This is our starting point in the journey. So once again, the starting point is the narrative of I'm choosing to do what someone else wants me to do over what I want to do. So as a, as a dad and as I, many stages in my life, I found myself where I needed wisdom. And because I recognized, at least I think I recognized that I needed it, therefore I wanted wisdom. And there's, there's a, several distinct moments in my life where I thought, oh, I need wisdom. One time was when I graduated high school, right? Uh, when you're in high school, you've got these, this kind of a much more clear idea of what's expected of you. And then once you kind of step out of that, well, what do you do next? You need wisdom. And when I got married, uh, there was another time that having wisdom mattered. And then when Elliot was born, um, this is a great example, and you've heard variations of this example before, but <clears throat> I certainly needed wisdom. Because in the hospital, the, the staff there was awesome. They were, they were very helpful. They gave us information and tools and things to keep Elliot alive. And we really appreciated that because at one point he actually did stop breathing because he had like a blockage and a nurse came and helped us. And it was like, wow, that we were grateful for. But they didn't provide a manual on how to raise him in the way he should go. And I can't fault them for not providing that manual because at that point we had crossed over the threshold between the knowledge of how to keep him alive and then into the domain of wisdom how to raise him in the way he should go. And so, I guess we're going to sort of follow me on a bit of a journey, because I'm starting with this idea of like, okay, I want wisdom so that I can be a good graduate. I want wisdom so I can be a good husband. I want wisdom so I can be a good dad. And I want wisdom so I can grow and mature as a believer. But we have a problem. And this is a big problem. It's a problem that bothers me and I think about a lot. And that problem has a persona and identity. It's King Solomon. King Solomon was very wise. He was the wisest man to ever live up to his point, and arguably, with the exception of Jesus, the wisest man to ever live. And so, The thing that challenges me so much about King Solomon is he was the pinnacle of wisdom that we have an example of, and yet, especially later in his life, 
he acted like a fool. He made bad choices. He made foolish choices. And that ended up, his foolish choices ended up corroding into destruction. And so just to sort of back this up, just this claim that I'm calling who the Bible says was the wisest man, and I'm saying that, well, he's also a fool, I want to back that up. So in Proverbs 14, verse 1, it says, A wise woman builds up her house, and that a foolish woman tears her house down. That's a bit of a paraphrase, but that's what it's saying. Wise woman builds up her house, the foolish woman tears her house down. And then in 1 Kings 11, verse 4, this is kind of a tragic verse. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was of David, as was the heart of David his father. So let's think about this kind of deductively, right? Uh, we kind of know the biblical definition, or at least the biblical foundation for wisdom, is the fear of the Lord. And so King Solomon marries women who worship other gods. So by definition, they're foolish women. And he brings them into his house. And it says in Proverbs that the foolish woman will tear her house down. And King Solomon invites that into his own house. And through many other examples, we see him choosing foolishness. And it ends up this, what I would call, this disobedience to, to the things that you know, God has set for him to do. He's disobeyed. He's chosen the wrong things. And it has brought in destruction And I would actually go as far to say that King Solomon's disobedience, his willingly to choose foolishness, that corroded his wise rule. So since I'm currently wearing this detective cap, trying to think about this deductively, if I'm going to say that disobedience corrodes wisdom, well then maybe the reverse is true, that obedience and following God's law and following God's word fosters wisdom wisdom. So this is going to bring us into Psalm 119 for the first time. And the specific section of Psalm 119 we are going to read is the letter Mem. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and read the first part of it. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all of my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditations. I understand more than the age, for I keep your precepts. It's really interesting. We see this sort of, this sort of picture of, of the, the psalmist who is meditating on the God, um, on God's law, who is keeping God's precepts, and we see him accelerating past his teachers, accelerating in wisdom and knowledge past uh, the aged, the, uh, I guess you consider them elders of that time. And it's really interesting because we come here every week-ish and listen to someone like myself or someone likely smarter than myself who's prepared and prepared and prepared to bring something to you guys. And it's sort of like a compression of of studying and prayer and meditation brought to you guys in a compact uh, 
30, 45 minutes. And you sitting here listening to this is beneficial, but what I'm reading in this psalm is that the actual act of meditating on God's precepts, following God's precepts, will accelerate your growth and your maturity far beyond listening to me or someone like me talking. And that's kind of powerful and motivating. This idea that, that being taught by the teacher, fo- focusing on the word, will accelerate your, your maturity. So, all right, so I started off wanting wisdom, and now I think, well, hmm, maybe I want to get really good at obeying. That seems like the logical next step, right? So, in Michael's mind, I might think, if I want to be a good graduate, if I want to be a good husband, if I want to be a good dad, if I want to be a good and maturing believer, then I have to get really good at obeying God's word. But we have another problem. And they also have a persona and an identity. This problem is the New Testament Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees, I'm going to set this up using Encyclopedia Britannica's definition or description of the Pharisees. Uh, Maybe not the best theological source, but it's really interesting how it summarizes the Pharisees. It says, The Pharisees harmonized the teachings of the Torah with their own ideas found in their, and or found their own ideas suggested or implied by it. They interpreted the law according to its spirit when in the course of time a law had been outgrown or superseded by changing conditions, they gave it a new and more acceptable meaning, seeking scriptural support for their actions through a ramified system of hermeneutics. So they're responsible, right? They're using hermeneutics, and yet they are, they are finding their own ideas in scriptures. Their own ideas are being found in scriptures. Um, And so this is also kind of troubling because we see Jesus' response to the Pharisees. And I would argue that the Pharisees were more dedicated and more devoted and put more energy into following God's law than anyone that I can see in here. I would argue that. And I feel pretty confident in that statement. They put a lot of energy into following God's law. And yet, Jesus did not have very many nice things to say about them. But Jesus did try to help them. And what did he do when he tried to help them? In Matthew 9, if you remember the Matthew series, we went through Matthew. uh, Matthew 9, Jesus tells the Pharisees, hey, I want you to go learn this. He says, go learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous but sinners. And then in Matthew 12 is kind of the tragedy because in Matthew 12, verse 17, it basically, Jesus tells them, well, you, you failed your homework assignment. If you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the guiltless. So there's an opportunity and they missed it. Let's focus a little bit more on the opportunity. The verse Jesus was referring to was Hosea 6, verse 6. And it says, For I desire stead 
steadfast love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. And so here we see that the Pharisees, they had missed God's heart in the law. They had interpreted it through their own lenses. They'd used their own wonderful system of hermeneutics and yet somehow had missed God's heart behind it. So where does all of this lead us? Because for me, like I'm trying to be a good graduate. I'm trying to be a good husband. I'm trying to be a good dad. I want to mature as a believer. And yet, it seems like even if I had the wisdom like Solomon, I'm still susceptible of acting like a fool. And even if I fully dedicate my efforts to following God's rule, I'm at risk of becoming arrogant and blind. That was for Tom. I'll explain it later, maybe. (laughs) So, maybe I'm looking in the wrong direction. Sorry, I didn't realize you're sitting there, Debbie. I'm glad I didn't hate you. Okay. Um, Maybe I'm looking in the wrong direction, right? I'm focusing on these outcomes, these performances. Well, if I think about maybe my relationship with these things, it brings me to a person. I'm going to read a description of this person. Isaiah 11, verse 1. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit and the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. So it stands to reason that these, these attributes that I'm wanting to live out, they, they are found in a, in a person. So... Jesus Christ is the source of these things. God is the source of these things. So what's next? I want to sort of shift how we think about this even a little bit further. And I'm going to read Jeremiah 23, verse 24. Or, I'm sorry, Jeremiah 9, verse 23 through verse 24. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this. That he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. So this, this verse, remember when I talked about the sermon was winding up into a center. This verse is the very center. So I'm going to read it again. I really want us to absorb this as much as we can right now. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, righteousness, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord.
So, let's unwind. So, we talked a little bit about Psalm 119, and that that was going to play a role in this, in this message. And it's, this is here where it does. So, reading through Psalm 119, what was the psalmist's response to the problem of the Pharisees? The problem of uh, obedience without the heart of God. The psalmist says in verse 18, open my eyes. Who's, who's the psalmist asking to open his eyes? Right? He's asking, he's asking God, he's asking Jesus to open his eyes. This is directed to him. Open my eyes that I may behold the wondrous things out of your law. Verse 33. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Verse 64. The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. Verse 124. Deal with your servants according to your steadfast love. And teach me your statutes. So I find this really interesting, right? The psalmist has the word written out. He's got it on paper. I'm assuming he has access to it. He can read it. So like, what does he need help for, right? He can read it. He can use his own wonderful, you know, systems and stuff to understand it. And yet, he's going, teach me your word. And I find that profound, right? Because there's a bit of humility that we see here that we try to understand the, this word the best we can. But at the end of the day, we're still at risk of becoming arrogant and blind unless we're being taught by the word himself. The word is a, it's a it's sort of an it. It's a pages and stuff, but it's also a him. It's also a, a person. So the psalmist's attitude here is the attitude of this. I am not trying to follow a written rule. I'm trying to follow God. So let's unwind a little bit further. So we've talked about the psalmist's response to the Pharisees. What do you think the psalmist, how do you think the psalmist is going to think about Maybe the, the issues that we saw with King Solomon. This idea of wisdom without obedience, right? Which is kind of an oxymoron if you think about it long enough. <clears throat> the psalmist says in verse 10, With my whole heart I seek you, let me not wander from your commandments. In verse 37, Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. In verse 88, in your stead, fast love, give me life that I may keep your, the testimonies of your mouth. And then in verse 176, this is really something, uh, he says, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, 
for I do not forget your commandments. What's interesting about this verse? If you read Psalm 119, and I imagine many of you have, at least, yeah, many of you have several times, um, you have 176 verses celebrating God's law. It's a passionate, passionate collection of thoughts and prayers talking about the law. And yet, this is the last verse. And it says, I've gone astray like a lost sheep. It's, it just seems sort of jarring after all of this, I'll never, I'll never forsake your law. And all this celebration, they, at the end, he's like, I've gone astray like a lost sheep. Then he says, seek, he's asking to be sought, seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. And there's a real humility here, and a, a, really a right perspective, because after all of the celebration of the law, the psalmist is still recognizing his own failings and is asking for support. Like the verses we just read, he's once again looking to someone to help him follow the word. And it's not for lack of wanting to, right? We, we can want to do right, and that's a good thing to want to do right. But we must rely So, that has wound us all the way back to the beginning of the sermon, the weight of obedience. We've done it, right? So, meditating on Psalm 119 and thinking about the law and thinking about obedience, I have to say that thinking about this, my perspective has changed a little bit, actually a lot. So, how heavy does knowing and understanding and being directed by God feel? For me, it is not as if it is weighing me down, but it's as if it's lifting me up and showing me a path forward. Because on one side, we started with this idea that I'm choosing to do what someone else wants me to do over what I want to do. And then now we have this, this paradigm shift where it's like, God, show me which way to go. I want to find the path towards life. I want to follow you. And so it is not a burden that has been cast on us, but it is a path that we follow. And we're going to read two more verses from Psalm 119 directly about that. In verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. It's not a boulder in the path. It is a light to the path. Verse 35, lead me in the path of your commandments for I delight in it. And so that's it. That's all I have for you guys. Um, So we're going to pray. God, thank you for bringing us here today so that we we can, as a community, worship you and and be bolstered and strengthened in hearing your word. God, I pray that you would help us to avoid these pitfalls of becoming arrogant and blind or or trying to figure things out in our own strength and neglecting the heart behind it all. You, God, practice steadfast love. You love us steadfastly. And you said that you desire that we would understand and know you. 
So God, help us to understand and know you. Amen.